This is your host, Sarah Jonas, and you're listening to the Black Design Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two. Um, First of all, thank you for tuning in last week and listening to the first episode of the Black Design Podcast. Um, I had a lovely conversation with Cheryl D. Miller, and I've also included a bonus episode where I introduced the podcast and myself. So some of you actually asked me to share more about myself and my work, and uh, thank you. Yes, I'll be happy to do more of that in the coming weeks. Maybe I can find a fun way to integrate that with the podcast or the social media. Um, But yeah, we'll see. I don't know yet, but I'll definitely um, uh, put in more effort to share more. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. And thank you for asking. But um. Back to today's episode, uh, I I just can't wait to talk about this guest. Uh, and uh, let's see if you guys can guess who I'm talking about. She is a, a designer based in New York City with her own practice. She is also a design educator who happens to teach at one of the most prestigious uh, design programs in the world. Um, she's also a pretty badass public speaker And as a matter of fact, that's actually how I came across her and her work. Um, It was earlier this year during quarantine. And uh, (laughs) how do you like the COVID bedtime story? It was earlier this year during quarantine. (laughs) But um, yeah, but so I was attending this conference. And uh, when I heard her speak, I just knew I had to have her on the podcast And I just wanted to talk to her about so many things, right? Um, You know, not just about design education, but about the role of black communities in shaping black designers and and so many other things along those lines. So uh, when I connected with her, let me tell you, it was such a fulfilling conversation. It was, you know, it's like one of those conversations where you're just chopping it up and it's just so juicy. And at the end of it, you just feel like, wow, that was probably the best use of my time ever. Um, So it it was just, I mean, this woman's uh, depth of thought and uh, her passion for design, uh, not just as a profession, but also as a philosophy is just outstanding. Let me tell you, you better have your pen and paper ready because today is the day you're gonna take all the notes she has so much to share um tips and information that you will never hear anywhere else because um we don't really talk about this stuff in the mainstream and uh it's super important as we uh shape the next generation but also um for us practitioners as we become mentors and educators of the future like we really need to pay attention um, and look behind the scenes and into the details. And so I'm hoping that today's conversation will inspire many of us um, to become better students, better educators, better practitioners, and honestly, better parents. So without further ado, Miss Bright Polka Dot herself, Kelly Walters. For those at home who don't know you, seems impossible. <laughs> Please introduce yourself. 
my name is Kelly Wall. This designer um, and educator uh, that teaches at Parsons School of Design, and I have my own practice called Bright Polka Dot. And you've been a design educator for some time now. Are there more of us in schools and uh, in design conversations? And do you think that our presence is more seen and felt nowadays? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's, there's a lot more of us than we realize. I think we're dispersed. I often say this a lot to um, different people and that I know of um, a lot more individuals just based on my engagement with going to different conferences, events, um, specifically in regards to like black design educators, just the more that I've kind of uh, continued to put myself out there, I've, I began to kind of see where um, others are as well. And, and beginning to build a connection with them has been really influential for me. Um, just in, in terms of like having opportunities to collaborate or even, even just to kind of think through the work that we're both doing. In fact, there has been a rise of like our demographic and different disciplines within design, but I feel like we're still struggling to lead the conversation. And uh, you and I had a conversation recently, um, and it really just hit me then that you're one of the few uh, black design educators that we know of, you know, and obviously uh, you're in good company of pioneers like Gail Anderson or mm-hmm. Saki Mafundikwa back in Zimbabwe. Um, it, it's great, but it's such a rare occurrence. And so I wanted to know, how does it feel to be a black design educator, knowing that the curricula that you have to work with is so exclusionary? And what kind of opportunities do you see, uh, you know, based on your unique position? I mean, I think for me, um, I entered into design um, in in a program that was um, heavily fine art oriented. And I think for me, what was important, just as I kind of learned about design, I was learning about a lot of Black contemporary artists at the same time. And so I, I guess like part of that, to me, it felt like they were one in the same. I, I chose not to, um, you know, kind of abide by these ideas that there's like two different disciplines that they're kind of, um, there are a lot of black artists and, and, and um, creatives that I was introduced to that made me feel less alone. And I, and I think in terms of thinking about that in relation to the curriculum, I've really pushed towards engaging with more uh, contemporary artists being a part of the curriculum so that it's not like, oh, we look to graphic design and there's no one there. I think that has been something that I'm not necessarily, um, like I've sort of resisted that idea that there's no one here, uh, partially mm-hmm. because I've, I've been so much, um, so much more aware of like the types of work that like Carrie Mae Weems was producing, Lorna Simpson, Kara Walker, and while they're like other some would qualify them as other disciplines to me they were my guide posts like they were they gave me strength even if i Mm. was technically inside of graphic design as a label i kind of realized that to me the labeling really didn't matter and i think that as an educator i'm really interested in, in pushing the discussion so that it can feel more inclusive um, of all of the different types of practitioners, not the ones that just specifically call themselves graphic design, but all of the, the artists that work with type or that work with image. To me, 
like on a very simplistic level, um, they are designers too, or artists or creatives, however you want to call them. And so I think that, um, I think that's where I resist uh, inside of the curriculum, but also in terms of how I'm able to bring in uh, lots of different types of voices to the classroom um, so that it doesn't feel isolated. Uh, and I know that, you know, what I've seen in the last like 10 plus years is just a radical shift in who can, who can, you know, make that claim, right? I think that there's a lot of, um, you know, individuals at the top that have created a form of graphic design or an understanding of graphic design that at this point is becoming, you know, over, um, not overlooked, but it's becoming antiquated in some ways, some aspects of it. And so I think we're at a point where there's a new emergence. Um, and I know some others in like other art and design disciplines call it a black renaissance. Um, but I, I believe that we're in that right now. I feel like there's a lot of projects that are happening or have been happening, um, but we're sort of really seeing a lot of it um, getting more visibility at this moment. Yeah, and, and it, you know, to me what sticks out is, is that you actually now work at Parsons which is, um, or used to be, I should say, the design school um, mm -hmm. par excellence. And so though it's part of the new school university, which, you know, came to fame for being like super progressive and liberal um, and having this like unique approach to education. Back when I was a student there, it was still a very white dominated space. Um, it isn't too long ago. I mean, I graduated in uh, 2014. So, but it, it really just lacked inclusion in the curriculum and, and in the always, to be honest. So this year, you guys finally have uh, a black president and you are part of faculty. I'm sure like a lot of stuff changed um, since I left. Um, is this like the first actual step towards inclusion in that space? And what do you think specifically needs to happen? Because, you know, we've seen representation like in the form of, um, you know, token diversity and like just hiring black people just to say uh, we have a number, but, you know, behind the scenes, like what really needs to happen? Yeah, I mean, I think that we are, I think there's a lot of work that still needs to occur. I think I'm, you know, yes, one of perhaps like one of the few black faculty, um, full-time faculty at that. Um, and, you know, we do have a new president, um, but I, I think that there's so much work that our institution needs to do um, collectively to kind of continue to advance where we should be, I think, What's um, extremely challenging is uh, is really sort of recognizing, like, in this moment, as I reflect on like the social political context, you know, we are we are inside of that, right? We're inside of this particular moment in time in 2020, where there's not only a pandemic, there's you know, a lot of racial unrest. We have a president that is like in some ways really stoking the fire and, and has created a lot of divisiveness. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, for me, you know, when I think about like my role inside of an institution like this, you know, the, the questions that I begin to ask are how are we responding to the world that's outside? Um, how are we inviting students to participate in that discussion? 
and or do we even have students that represent a wide diversity to begin with, right? And I think that there's a lot of these like layers and factors, some of which are out of my control. I think some of them are systemic from, you know, the the type of institution that we are, the location in New York, um, the ways in which like, you know, I would say in my view and experience at being at Parsons, you know, we have a, a large international population, um, yeah. which is very, very different than, you know, an institution that I went to for undergrad, which was primarily domestic. And so I think that what cre- what's created are challenges in terms of people understanding what race and identity and, um, you know, what a person of color even means when you have people who might be identified as people of color here in the States that don't see themselves as that. So I think that there's a lot of complexity in terms of the student populations coming from different parts of the world that don't necessarily engage with all the political and social context that is the United States. And then, you know, on top of it, you have, um, you know, if we're talking on the granular level of being in the classroom, you know, you might come up and I've had this happen to me, you might have situations where, you know, students of color might produce work, but their peers um, may not understand what it is that they're saying. They may downcast what they've said or, you know, try to minimize um, a particular experience. And I think that the challenge for me is, you know, being mindful of the type of dynamics that are in the, the institution that I teach at and how it actually plays out when we do critique or, if any topics of race come up, because, um, you know, I don't know if the school or or institutions at large are doing enough um, when we do bring in lots of students from different places to provide additional context about what does it mean to be here in the U.S.? What does it mean to have all these other kind of layers of, of historical and social um, sort of aspects that, you know, affect, you know, when one is here in the United States. And then also looking outwardly, you know, for, for students that are domestic and from the US, how are we looking outward from our center of the, you know, of America, right? I think that it's, it's a reflexive process that I think everyone needs to be doing. Um, and I think that sometimes like, you know, whether it's because of money, whether it's because of, I think we had talked about this before, um, you know, like institutional memory of things that have happened and and like the turnover of students not knowing what has already happened. I think that the, a lot of those factors really influence, um, you know, I think an understanding of, of you know, projects or, or research that has happened or preceded it. Um, so I think it's, it's really multi-layered. I think the more that I'm in academia and the more that I'm at, um, you know, teaching and working with students, the more that I see like that it's, it's, it's extremely complex uh, and every institution has a different entry point that makes this conversation very different. So it's hard to like, we can generalize and say, hey, this is the, this is the reason why. There's actually like all of these different reasons why. Absolutely. Definitely complex. And then, like you said, you make a good point about, you know, geography and like the, you know, the different institutions um, and different approaches. Have you been in conversations with students, um, faculty and deans to kind of reassess 
the program that you specifically work in? And do you have any, um, you know, specific things planned ahead um, to kind of address the situation and like improve the some of the dynamics or, you know, retention? Or- yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think what there are there's different tiers of it right mm-hmm. i think that there's like if you look at an institution on like all the different levels there's the the faculty faculty level right where you might be working with someone on the ground inside of a program there might be the sort of dean to program or school level and they're like in by school in terms of parsons right like it might be the school of amt versus the school of design strategies versus the school of fashion in that kind of structure, you have all of these subdivisions of, of, you know, engagement on what programming or curricular development starts to look like. And then you have like, you know, let's say Parsons School of Design or the new school at large, like there are like, you know, other initiatives that kind of take precedent across the entire institution. And so I think that the types of planning and the types of um, initiatives look very different depending on like where you sit and how you're trying to make change. I know for me, um, you know, on a, on a programmatical level, I think something that I worked on this summer was an anti-racism pledge that is implemented into the communication design faculty handbook. Mm. And it's also something that um, is embedded inside of all the syllabi that is being created starting this semester. So, you know, I I think that there's like having conversations with our program and faculty in that program and really thinking about like, what are the first steps for us to kind of figure out actionable items that are tangible and, you know, achievable, not like lofty goals that, you know, are like, you know, 10, 20, 30 year goals. And I think it for me has been a matter of trying to navigate like what are the small immediate things versus the long-term things versus the even longer term things that maybe when I'm not even here. Right. And so yeah. for, from an immediate standpoint, you know, our first steps were to kind of really think about like, again, this, this um, anti-racism pledge, which um, really calls out very specifically the ways in which we want our community um, our faculty, our staff, and our uh, students to be operating in terms of the classroom, how we engage with knowledge, how we engage with creating kind of respectful dynamics. And, and I think the second step after that is getting uh, support from, you know, our community to, you know, model that, that sort of going forward. And I think that's the harder challenge, right? It's getting, you know, the, the kind of, um, it, the, the ongoing support so that it, it can be made aware. And I think some of that has to do with how do we start each term? How do we start each class? Like, are we creating community agreements? Um, are we um, really thinking about, um, you know, who we invite in for guest lectures and like on very tangible levels, like what are those ways that we can think about, you know, creating a lecture series program or, um, you know, the types of, of work that get featured on the Instagram even like, right. I think there's, there's some of these smaller things that need to happen. And then I think that there's like the larger things that kind of tie into, you know, the institution at large, which might have to do with admissions. And that's a bigger, even more complex concern. Right. And so there are things that I can do on a smaller immediate level. And then there are things that have to be worked in tandem with 
you know, upper administration, which might be a slightly slower process. Um, so I think things are happening. It's just at different tiers, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And then I really hope that people are taking notes at home here in this because this <laughs> is gold. This, th- these are the things we need to talk about. And thank you for like being so thorough and like giving us so much to think about. Um, and you have also been a design student yourself, obviously, and have been a student and taught at different um, institutions. What do you think are some structural things that are handled better at some institutions versus others in regards to what they call diversity and inclusion, which I'm getting pretty fed up with the with the term because it's getting thrown around, yeah. but for lack of better um, words at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um... This is also something I was talking to someone about also recently in that, like, if you look at the kind of the U.S., for example, and, you know, you know, from the West Coast, the Midwest to the East Coast or the North versus the South, right? Like that you have very different um, geographic regions of the country that have also different social, political um dynamics that play out in those regions right and so what i've been really trying to learn more about just in my opportunities to teach at different places is having an awareness of that the difference in how location truly does influence the the type of institution that you might be at so so for example like if i just use myself like i went to undergrad um, in upstate Connecticut, and it was a very rural, um, you know, town. I wouldn't even call it a city. It was a town, right? And so for me, I was, you know, removed from the city to a certain extent. We, we, you know, were surrounded by trees. It was really idyllic, really beautiful. There were cows on the campus, right? Um, and what I understood then was that, like, um, you know, my my friends that might have been going to school um, in New York, let's say, for example, people that I met along the way that were in like the city, the backdrop created a very different dynamic, right? Like the ability for, for um, students to kind of jump from like automatically from school into industry um, was faster, right? For some students who were, were already in the city uh, versus like someone like myself where it took me a while to kind of find my grounding and sort of, um, you know, navigate a very different type of, um, a a different type of dynamic. And so what what I'm getting at is that like, you know, these backdrops can also influence how progressive or how liberal or conservative um, you know, an institution might be. And so like in some ways, you know, for all the things that are happening, um, I would say around the world, in some ways, like the schools in the cities that have, um, you know, the, the idea of protest and, and um, the idea of like really demanding change and pushing change and things like that there's things that I'm seeing that are extremely progressive um, at Parsons more than anywhere else that I've ever been to or taught, partially because of like, you know, some of the faculty that I work with 
you know, the, the intellectual thinking and, and really sort of, um, you know, again, I'll just use most recently, a lot of the faculty and staff came together um, to create these like anti-racist demands, right? And demands of the institution to do better, to be better, to kind of um, really take part all of the things that need to change. And I think the idea of an anti-racism pledge um, is not something that might happen at, a, at, a, at another school. And I don't want to generalize, but, you know, I think that I know of other colleagues and other types of institutions where an anti-demand list would not have ever, like, made it to the top, right? Like, it would not have, like, the faculty or the students may not have even considered that that is something that they could do. And so in terms of the structural piece, like I'm talking about, I think that there's, like, that kind of seeing it on a spectrum that you have like faculty and staff who feel empowered to do and uh, make change, even if the change isn't happening as immediately as it needs to versus institutions or communities at those institutions where, um, you know, there's more fear, there's more uncertainty, there's no, not enough uh, of a rallying behind the community to put together an anti-racism demand list. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So like, it's, it's, it's kind of like, if you see these institutions, like they are, you know, um, people, like you have some people who are, are extremely open and liberal and you have some institutions that are just not. And, and I think that their pathway to being more open and inclusive is so far behind others um, that, you know, the ability to, to have faculty come together and put a list together and say, hey, president provost, like we need these kinds of changes. That is not something that's happening in those spaces. I am happy to hear that things are like really just, you know, picking up at Parsons because for a while there, it, it kind of was a different experience, you know, going in and it's like, this is not what I was expecting. Like y'all came with a reputation and, you know, for me, it was a different experience. So I'm, I'm definitely elated and, and happy to hear that things are like picking up and like uh, you guys are doing great things and moving uh, the ground. And um, so at this point, uh, you know, present time and based on your experience and your knowledge, where do you see the most opportunity um, academically for Black designers to receive better support? Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends. I think that, you know... Um again, I can speak for myself in that, you know, I benefited from, um, you know, going to uh, a university that allowed me to study art, but also study communication sciences. So I was a dual major when I was in school. And so, um, you know, I think the benefit of having, you know, a larger university to kind of draw upon as I was learning about art and design was really influential for me. And I think in some ways Parsons is similar to that with like kind of, you know, the new schools, like, you know, school for social research or like all of the different sort of liberal arts sort of capabilities, or I know that they have like a BFA or BAFA program, I think is what it's called. Um, and so I think that like, for me, I know that I learned a lot by, you know, taking classes that were outside of art and design. And I think that to it, I think for, for any black designer to be able to kind of like 
see, you know, learning about the craft of design in tandem with learning about who we are as people um, is, is extremely important so that there's like an understanding of like, you know, um, historical context, social context, political context that can actually guide um, your point of view when you make something in, in Illustrator or InDesign, right? Illustrator and InDesign or Photoshop is not going to give you the point of view. It's going to give you the tool to make a thing, but it won't tell you how to think. It won't tell you how to, you know, uh, position your voice in the world. And right. I think that um, for me, it's important that, you know, any designer, Black or otherwise, is able to really have a grounding in in different areas that, you know, allows them to kind of see the world and see where their point of view stands. So that when you come back into the field and you're kind of making, you know, projects or artifacts or objects, you're mindful of like all of the ways in which you're able to synthesize that research and understanding. Right. And and then, you know, speaking of like receiving support, you know, for students. Um, as a practitioner, obviously, you know, design occupies like a high place in my life. And so I believe it belongs with STEM. And I, I do believe it's at the foundation of any um, student of, you know, of any discipline, essentially, um, or at least, you know, have an adjacent position. However, we do see that in our communities and in, you know, in our families, sometimes too often, maybe um, it's not a career that's taken seriously. And so, you know, thinking about ways to support students, um, why do you think black families and are in black community and the black community at large um, should support a career in design and how can they uh, can families and communities support uh, aspiring design students in, in the pursuit of a career in design? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, I think what's more and more apparent now is that there just needs to be more exposure into what design can be. I think that there's like sometimes like one view of what a, a designer looks who what kind of a designer there can be but I think there's so many forms of design that I continue to learn about and continue to understand that I think part of the I think part of one of the challenges is that we don't always know all the pathways inside of the field itself so for example if we say I want to study design really you could be an educator like i'm an example of someone who's an educator it's 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 almost like there's these sub tracks that sit underneath the the term design and we need more exposure for individuals to understand that you could be an educator of design you could be a creative director of design you could be working in k-12 and potentially be in you know like a public school system for, for students that are in the K-12 system. There could be, um, you know, and this is like separate from the like kind of UX design that you could do or the art right. direction that you could do, right? I think that there are those tracks that exist as well. But I also think that, you know, um, sometimes there's just not enough awareness that you could not only study design, but potentially become an educator or 
you know, for me, it, it was, I think when I think back to when I uh, started undergrad, I know vividly that I wasn't sure that design was for me at the beginning because I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get a job. And I think that's a lot of the challenge for a lot of people and people's families where it's like, well, how are you going to go study art? And then like, you know, and, and art sometimes is the, the even taller category that sits above design because sometimes like, um, you know, a lot of institutions don't have specifically a design program, but you might learn art tools or art design kind of things inside of an art program. And so I think, you know, when you think about it in its extension into art, I think that the, a lot of the assumptions sometimes come with, well, you're just kind of wasting your time. You're going to be that kind of starving artist. I think design sometimes has the relationship to that kind of um, that viewpoint. And I think it makes it difficult for people to, you know, take on student loans and to, you know, if they're not able to pay for it themselves, to take on kind of what would be considered a frivolous degree. And so I think that there's like, you know, different stereotypes that are associated with it. Um, I think it also connects, like I said before, to exposure. Um, but I also think that like, for me, again, just, you know, talking about myself is that like, even though I eventually went into design, I do know that an influence for me prior to getting into college was doing a pre-college program when I was in high school. And mm. so I remember learning about design, like, you know, semi early, I guess, um, or having an interest in like, you know, making PowerPoints, but not knowing that, you know, you could, could potentially see that as a, as a form of design. And I think that I am a huge proponent of these pre-college um, programs that at least give exposure so that if you're not sure, you can think about it, which is kind of what I did. I started undergrad sort of still not sure, but I knew I had like some of that early exposure that really influenced me until I was ready to kind of make the choice to kind of move into design. And so I think that um, it's a matter of like uh, showing pathways, even inside of, of, of uh, you know, a singular large design kind of label, like all the different types of pathways um, so that it's more clear to a family or families that this is what's possible. I myself had a difficult time uh, sort of like justifying, you know, investing mm -hmm. in a design school and like, you know, with the cost of the supplies and um, that, you know, most aspiring students and black students, you know, uh, they really have to deal with uh, economics before they even deal with their exactly. own dreams, you know, and that's really, uh, Again, so much to talk about, you know, in terms of intersectionality and like really understanding the plague of uh, the black population in this country, but mm -hmm. also uh, overseas. It's, uh, you know, you're a young student. You don't get to just get up one day and say, hey, mom, dad, I'm just going to be an art director. I'm going to be, you know, a creative <laughs> director. I'm going to be. They're going to be like, 
actually, no, we have to have another conversation about rent bills and, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. kind of give you a timeline as to, you know, at what point you're going to start contributing to the household if you want to keep living mm-hmm. here. And then, you know, it's a whole <laughs> other story when you're an independent student, because even for me, like I was holding like uh, three part time jobs down internships externships you know a full load of classes I thought I was going to go crazy and people don't understand how much um I want to actually rephrase that and say uh, especially in relation to what's happening now the government really does not understand Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, what Mm -hmm. we go through what that means you know coming from a position of privilege you don't have to worry about you have all the time to spend on your design projects you have all the time to, you have the money to invest in supplies, room to invite a bunch of people at your house and, you know, work on a project together. It's just so many little things. And not to mention, honestly, uh, the mental factor, like the, 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 mm-hmm, the mental health mm-hmm. factor and, you know, the stress that comes with it, uh, the depression that often takes place when you're uh, going through again a scenario like that where you're juggling multiple situations at a young age and you're like why is my life like this all I want to do is like be great and get paid for it like everybody else so yeah this mm-hmm, is definitely mm-hmm. something where we need to have conversations at multiple levels and for me my stand is that um, design needs to start like early <laughs> like and you know it's a foundational yeah. discipline at this point um and i think we need to like really introduce it at, at, you know uh in school yeah. preschool etc yeah i mean exactly i mean and if you look at like here's the thing right like if you look at design <laughs> like you would look at history right yeah. like from the time that we're in middle school or high school you are taking like the following subjects history math science um like like english as a core or let's say for example those are some some of the key early like foundational core classes that are part of the curriculum if we were to see design in there right and this is kind of separate or in addition to art right i think art is one of them but sometimes art get gets cut because it's seen as an extracurricular and not as a core But if we were to see design as like, here's history, math, science, and design, right? Yep. We're creating better pipelines earlier through either middle school or high school so that when you get to the end of high school, it's not like, what is design? But rather, do I want to do a design discipline? Do I want to study in the same way that students say, I want to be a bio major? They know that after they've taken all the science classes. Or, you know, you know what, I think I'm going to study English and have that be my major because of all of the English classes they may have taken in high school or middle school. Or I want to study even a language like I want to be a, you know, a Spanish major. Like we can we can almost track the the types of students who have come out of these different sub core classes um, from middle school and high school because it's built a foundation along the way. And by the time they are able to apply for college you're able to kind of see how it could correlate directly to a major. Um, And I I don't think that we have a clear demonstration of that tracking to the major and then tracking to a a profession, right? But one Mm -hmm. could potentially 
in high school say, well, I like science. I'm going to study science in college and I'm going to be a doctor, right? That linear path um, is so clear for a lot of folks. And I think it's helpful for a lot of black families because then you're like, oh, I can see how I might be able to, you know, sustain myself after school. And so I think what's more elusive and, and harder and hasn't really been pinned down as much is that linear line, or it's not even really a line. It could be a zigzag and a curly cue of design, yeah. which makes it more complicated for people to know that this is where you could end up. The way I look at it is that if it doesn't make money, people will not be able to justify it. Like even the school itself, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, everything mm-hmm. relates back to, you know, making money for the country yes. you live in. Right. And so that's why mm-hmm. fashion design and initially graphic design sort of almost had a moment, uh, you know, in the nineties, I guess, eighties and nineties when, you know, advertising and graphic design were kind of having a resurgence as, you know, really like the role of the art director was sort of like coming back in mm-hmm. and, you know mm-hmm. and dominating uh but then after that it kind of all reverted to sort of fashion and maybe architecture and so those are like you know in, in, immediately you can make a connection with high paid jobs and like oh you know somebody if i become a famous fashion designer somebody will pay ten thousand dollar for you know, one of my Mm -hmm, designs, mm -hmm. or of course, architects, it's like, oh, if you design something big, then there's a lot of money in it, because it's big. So it's like a very basic concept. And people can't seem to imagine anything beyond that. And I think, uh, you know, it's a political design in and of itself. And it's it's really not a conspiracy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a conspiracy, but we can see it. And so I think it's about uh, like it's one yes introducing it you know at a lower at, at earlier in the in education and like you said rewire those uh, pipelines but also uh, maybe creating language around it that makes sense mm-hmm. you know with parents earlier um, mm-hmm. explaining mm-hmm. and explaining the value of design at a system level at a systemic level. Right. And so, you know, understanding the role of design as, you know, uh, one, uh, a, a mindset and uh, a way of like solving complex problems. So that maybe can have more resonance, you know, when you talk about uh, economic, de- socioeconomic development and like the larger exactly. words that our parents like to hear when we talk about, hey, you mm-hmm. know, we're kind of changing the system. We're we're equally <laughs> as worthy as you know doctors and engineers and and lawyers exactly, and lawyers exactly. and everybody else um uh so yeah again another conversation that could go on uh for weeks mm-hmm. at a time um what are some resources um you know for aspiring black designers and current black design students that they can tap into when uh you know when considering a design career or during their design career? Um, I guess for me, like I, I think, like I said at the very beginning is that for them to see design in relation to art also, I think that to, to really look closely at the types of projects and work that has come out of black contemporary artists um, 
as as early as as they can find because there's there is so much work that I'm still navigating and literally like earlier today I was just looking at like you know um the history of of black African American artists from like um the like late 1800s and you know I was like oh crap like there's all of these artists and so I think it's it's really kind of putting the label aside for a second to look at the ways in which communication visually, artistically, typographically has been sort of developed by um, a wide array of artists because at one point graphic design was not a term. Like, you know, printmaker was a term. Um, you know, illustrator, artist was a term. And so I, I'm, like I said, really interested in, in Black designers being open to seeing a wide array of of other black artists that historically produce work over time and there's so many sometimes we're, they're not given the the due that they are they deserve but they exist and and so i think that as they begin to kind of get into the field of design to dig deeper and to look at all the different types of art creative makers that um you know, have produced work that might inspire them so that they have a Rolodex that they can draw on. So when they go to class, it's not like, well, there's nobody that exists. It's like, no, actually, you can pull that printmaker, that illustrator, that photographer with you into the discussion so that it's not so um, solely, um, you know, trying to look to graphic design's history. Because in some ways, while it is fairly recent as a field relative to other disciplines in some ways it's not and it and I think it's been a lot of the nomenclature that's made things confusing and the labeling and the understanding of of what can be considered design or art and I think for me I blur the lines because I need all of those references and I need to know that like Glenn Ligon made this work that said you know x and yz about race mm -hmm. or I need to know that David Hammond's made this graphic that referenced Nike with the basketball. I mean, I need all of those things. And so I think that if students were open to kind of seeing their view uh, more expanded, I think it would just give, um, give them a sense of additional resources or artist references um, that could provide guideposts for them. Cause that's how I, I think have, I think, you know, continued on for so long is to look to, um, to those artists for, for guidance, even though they don't know me, but like their work has been guided. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, source of inspiration for me. I, so. I got into graphic design because of Emery Douglas, like simple exactly. as that. Yeah. And uh, the reason why I got into, uh, you know, I even came to know about Emery Douglas is because of, I, I dug into, you know, uh, my African history and like really understood how, you know, design has a place in society that that's a lot more um, interconnected than uh, you know than it is in the West because in the West it's pretty much isolated as a discipline. It's almost like its own vacuum, you know. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. versus uh, in African cultures, but and I I can speak for Eritrea, but um, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure it's it's uh, something that happens in other um, countries in Africa too. Is that design is part of like an ecosystem, you know, of like, 
traditions and like uh, rhythms, natural rhythms that happen, you know, mm-hmm, within mm-hmm. within a certain um, society or the, you know community. And uh, I've learned that design is basically uh, art, but in a more utilitarian, from a more utilitarian perspective. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. it, it doesn't, it's not just beautiful for beauty's sake. It, it has to be useful. Otherwise we mm. don't want it. We have no use for it. And so everything is made so thoughtfully and built into, you know, an ecosystem already. And um, so that's, you know, that being my heritage, it kind of pushed me to like look for other people that would share that same view. And when we look at um, Emory Douglas, like he literally, that's one of the first uh, visible forms of accessible design because his graphic design was uh, basically created around people who couldn't read and their needs Mm -hmm. to communicate through imagery. And so there's like such a, I mean, his whole creative process was, already catering to like a a huge social issue it's um and to Mm -hmm. me it's fascinating like our heritage is like splendid and like there's so much to learn um so but again I digress uh (laughs) what um and so you know in uh, going back to um uh, design students what do you think um uh, a black design student should look for in an educator and in a program Um, I think that they should look for, um, programs that are like, I think they should look closely at the work that's coming out of the programs. Right. And like, I think that, you know, I, I think that it's important to sort of get a sense of, and this is different, right. For undergrads versus grads, I think for grad students, just to kind of work backwards, I think for grad students, I would say like, where do you want to have your practice go, right? I think that those are students who may have already studied design or, or might be transitioning into design, but have had potentially work experience prior to, and, um, you know, are coming back to school again. And I think for those, for grad students, I would recommend that they sort of consider what they want their time to be Um, to be like and the ways in which they might want to experiment and to kind of engage with, you know, when they're doing their research to kind of navigate, like, will this research that you want to do be received? And um, will there be, you know, a community that kind of will allow you to kind of grow and expand in different areas, Um, whether that be the projects that you do for a classroom or, extracurricular projects you're able to do with your classmates outside of class time. Um, That's what I would recommend for, you know, a a grad student. And for an undergrad, I think they're in a different place. I think that you have anywhere from students who are not sure about design and not sure about like, you know, whether, uh, you know, one school or other is better for them. And I think for them, I would sort of say, you know, where is going to be a welcoming environment, potentially one that is that, that that you feel like you can actually build a rapport with your faculty um, and grow with them as, or they will work with you as you grow rather. um, Because I think that 
you know, for me, I've been really fortunate enough to, um, you know, see like different types of programs that operate at different scales. And I think that, you know, the, the important aspect of that for an undergrad is to navigate what kind of environment they want to be in, in a program that's, you know, large where you have lots of opportunities to take different electives, or do you want to be in a program that's a little bit smaller that gives you um, maybe less program choice options and is, um, you know, with a smaller faculty body. I think those are things that you may not know as an undergrad exactly, but you might have a sense perhaps as you get closer to, you know, preparing to go to college. And I think if you're already in it, it's sort of just navigating how you can work with faculty who, who will kind of explore with you, you know, and, and, you know, not shoot you down. I think it's, um, to me, those are things that when I was in school were really important and helpful. You know, when we look at um, the stru- the current structure of academia, we might not find uh, the answers in there at the moment, but we might have to, like, reimagine a whole system. What does the ideal mm-hmm. design program of the future look like? I think it's, it's um, I think, I guess the biggest thing for me right now is that the history of design is uh is expanded is is not othered is that that like you know black history is not considered othered it's Mm. just the history of design that any of the you know what we're using now is other alternative or marginalized is dropped and that it's the history like when we we could truly say the history of design that encompasses everybody Um, I really hope that that's where we can get to, because I think the more that we continue to use, like the marginalized, the other, the, you know, overlooked, I mean, and I'm at fault too, because I use it sometimes myself, the more that we use that, the more it continues to reinforce that it is othered or it is marginalized. And so I hope in the future we get to a place where, um, it, it really is all encompassing when we say, design history and um, and that there isn't fear to sort of include that history or to include different types of practitioners and the work that has been produced. Um, I think that to me is really important so that, that we engage with, you know, populations of students that are reflective of that history, right? I think that we're gonna have so many students coming from all over the world um, you know, that have different backgrounds and experiences. And the more that we can um, fold that into our understanding of design and design history, I think the more, um, you know, connected students can become to those programs. Mm. So let me ask you this then uh, from, you know, an insider's perspective, are you like trying to like, what's, what's the, process and or protocol for you to be able to impact the curriculum that way by inserting you know by creating a more comprehensive uh design history course for example or like adding our perspective as part of like the overall perspective as opposed to 
uh, like you said, being othered. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, I it can speak to myself in that, like, I have created a new course called Black Visual Culture, which I taught last fall. Um, and, you know, that's embedded inside of the, you know, communication design curriculum. And I think that it's, it comes similarly, like I said before, it comes with faculty, um, you know, having an awareness to teach um, subject area that, that expands the curricular offerings, right? I think that that might be, on one hand, it comes from like having faculty teach um, certain courses, but then it also comes in the form of like, what's the, what are the learning outcomes across the board that all students need to learn? And how does that embed itself in every single class, right? And I think there's like the one-off courses that might go into specific design history components versus like learning objectives that are embedded in like the motion design class, Mm -hmm. which also should include like, here's the wide uh, selection of, you know, black, black, Latinx, brown film cinematographers, right? It should be embedded inside of every class just as much as it's embedded inside of a class that's specifically called history, right? Or design history. So I think it, it comes in different forms where it has to do with like, I think the delivery of it, the resources and references that we pull from uh, the essays or articles or videos we have students watch. um, I think it's like everything on the micro detail of like what they're exposed to in the classroom um, even if it's for typography class or the foundational class that is about making books, right? Like, which books are we showing? Um, you know, like, it, 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 that's what I mean in that it takes, like, just as much as the classes that are about design history as it does the classes that are just about making, uh, in which we show examples that are also just as diverse, Right. No, yeah, that makes total sense. And um, yeah, so are you usually available to aspiring students outside of like class hours to do mentoring and or advising on the side? Is there anywhere we can point them to? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think people usually like, you know, for my students, they usually just reach out to me if they want to meet outside of class time. And, you know, I think, um, you know, separate from that if there's just people who have connected me connected with me at different points like from other places like I generally meet with everyone to kind of you know connect and and provide what insight I can and yeah and or direct them to other references or resources that they might be seeking yeah and we're gonna have all the links up on the website but um what's the best way to get in touch with you for students oh like as an email Email and or LinkedIn. What's what's your preferred method? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, email. I mean, I'm at kelly.walters at newschool.edu. All right. I hope again that everyone is taking notes because you're amazing. You're giving out so many resources today, and this is like, ugh. but before you leave us, um. I'm going to ask you to give us your design 101, your five tips from today's conversation, your five takeaways. I think one is, you know, be open to looking for Black artists, makers, creatives throughout history to kind of build towards your, you know, um, 
your riff reference list. I think that um, I think that to let students know that they should be empowered to kind of think through um, ways they want to kind of produce their own work in their own practice mm-hmm. uh, and like what what forms that take in the, the types of programs that they end up in continue to look for you know programs and educators that inspire you that you know that you're um, excited by that you could potentially learn a lot from and I think the other thing I would say is just be you know I, I, I even though I'm teaching at Parsons I think it's you know, I, again, I'm an example of someone who, you know, went to a state school, public university. And I think that um, I think that all schools, any school, whether it's an HBCU, an art school, a state school, community college, uh, I think all schools have something to offer. And I, and I don't think that like the name alone is what, um, you know, makes or breaks um, like someone's design training. I know a lot of individuals, including myself, who've gone through programs where they're not as well known mm-hmm. and and taught at programs that are not as well known. And so I think, you know, there's ways to continue to evolve and expand that, you know, build your practice, working with people in the communities that you want to, um, that really sort of uh, move you forward as a person. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I would say. Nice. Well, so it had to come to an end, even though we don't want to, but thank you <laughs> mm-hmm. so much for your time today. And more importantly, thank you for your service as a black woman educator in design, which is the rarest title uh, that we, mm-hmm. you know, hear. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you for spending time with us, for educating us. I hope that parents will listen to your advice, students. Uh, aspiring designers, but also other educators that are, you know, kind of holding back and really just, Mm -hmm. I encourage them to uh, connect with you and talk about ways that we can come together and like build better programs um, for, for our communities and like encourage, you know, design at the level, you know, to be practiced at community level, even, you know, at grassroots level for like smaller movements, yes. bring design yes. everywhere. Yes. It, it, it's essential yes. for the world today. And um, yep, I think you made a pretty strong case for it today. So thank you for that. <laughs> Is there of any course, last thing course. you want to say? You want to talk about your current work? Want to point us to any resources or let us know what you're getting into next before you go? Yeah, I mean, I think just to follow you know, any work that gets posted to brightpolkadot.com and or at brightpolkadot um, in Instagram. I think that's where I'm kind of sharing out the most recent work and things that I'm working on. Um, But you can definitely take a look there to kind of see what I'm up to. All right. Thank you for uh, coming to the Black Design Podcast and inspiring us. Yes, thank you for having me. Black Design Podcast is part of the Black Design Space Project. You can find us on our website at theblackdesign.space or you can follow us on Instagram at theblackdesignspace. 